0: Hey, this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to The Andertons Podcast. Well, let's get into it. Mm. Let's hit it. Okay, I actually quite like that as the intro. So anyway... Hey everybody, <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode of Anderson's TV. And we are uh, really, really happy today to be uh, connected transatlantically with the very talented Corey Wong to talk about- No Concord needed, just the internet. Absolutely, saving the environment and everything. Um, yes. So it's great to finally meet you. Uh, I've yes, been you too. a big fan of all the Peck stuff and your own stuff for a few years now. Um, I'm I'm loving uh just somebody taking a a fresh approach to, to to music and it's just different to a lot of the blues and rock stuff that we hear all the time. Um but look, let's let's talk about I I'm kind of fascinated as to what it was about growing up and the music you were listening to then that has sort of put you on this path uh to to sort of a I guess a, almost a what, what, what would you sort of almost say? It's, it's quite a niche genre, isn't it, really?
1: Sure. Um, well, okay, so first things first, I grew up in Minneapolis. I'm a Minneapolis cat. Prince is in the water. Prince is in the air. And there is a Minneapolis sound. For the people that are watching or listening that don't know about the Minneapolis sound or the Minneapolis thing... There's a lot of the albums that were produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, Prince. There's Morris Day and The Time. There's a lot of different albums that came from Minneapolis and even stuff before that that were part of the Minneapolis sound. And when I really cut my teeth playing, a lot of my mentors and the people around me that I was gigging with were Prince alumni or like basically Prince's band minus Prince and now I'm the guitar player of The Thing. Of course, we weren't playing Prince music, but it was it, they had that expectation of me. And when I was doing something in the funk realm that wasn't quite what they were used to hearing for a decade playing with Prince, they would tell me, hey, you, your chord voicing is too thick. You're getting in the way of the keyboards. Just do this thing. Rather than going... Like the keyboard players are playing that stuff you really all you need to do is this It's like, oh, okay, I get it, and before that, I was kind of a punker kid. I grew up listening to Green Day and blink one eighty two and that sort of thing, and I had a serious love for punk and funk, so no wonder <laughs> why I love the red hot chili Peppers. that's kind of like their thing, right and Huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. I was a kid, way too young to be listening to them, but I didn't understand what any of the lyrics meant, so uh, it was fine. <laughs> so, I, I actually started on bass. This is this back here. This is my first instrument I ever got. Oh, cool. This Fender Jazz Bass. I wanted to be a bass player because I loved Flea, and I was a big Primus fan too. Both pretty bass guitar heavy bands, right? So, I got home from school one day, and my mom says. Hey, go look in your closet, and this bass was sitting on a guitar stand in my closet. I'm, I'm 12 years old. I I just get these insane goosebumps, and it's like it was like the moment of like pulling the sword out of the stone or whatever. It was like when I I, I knew this is like oh my gosh, I I am allowed to do what I meant to do in the world. It sounds so cheesy, but it's like. That's what it felt like, and I got super heavy into Red Hot Chili Peppers. I learned all of their. I learned. I got the guitar tab and bass tab books for Red, uh, for Blood Sugar Sex Magic and One Hot Minute. I learned note for note all the bass parts, all the guitar parts. I got all the Green Day guitar tab books. I'm a '90s alt rock kid, so I learned. You know, I got the Melancholy and the Infant Sadness book and learned all that stuff on bass and guitar, the Smashing Pumpkins album. And uh, I was really confused when I got... Actually, the first guitar tab book I ever got was... Read, uh, was Sorry, Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire. Right. And when, when I opened the tab book and it says... It just, like, goes... <laughs> As what I'm supposed to play, but as a kid, I don't realize it's like there are effects pedals that go into why it sounds the way that it does. I was so confused, so <laughs> I, I tried to stick to more traditional guitar tone stuff. I love Rage. Tom Morello is a genius, but I was so confused by this guitar tab book. Why don't I sound like that when I go like this? Um What was the so I got into punk rock, '90s alt rock, and then the funk thing has just been a part of my life because of I guess where I grew up. I can see the uh, the the Prince thing resonates. I'm interested because
0: I, I see that you know one of the things that I feel when you're playing is that the precision and the tightness and the uh, it feels quite different to some, you know if you were, if you grew up and John Fruscianti was your kind of you know your idol and he's much looser loosey-goosey kind of style to his rhythm playing was that um, did you have to very consciously kind of refocus uh, your sort of practice routines and stuff when you wanted to move into something that was a more you know I guess more hardcore kind of
1: funk Vibe. Sure. I think what it ended up being is that it's just my sound. It's just where it's an amalgamation of my influences, but also for me, my era. So if you think about it, Freshanti doesn't come from the grid era. I'm a grid kid. We're living in the in the in the grid era. This is a on the grid time. Unlike any other, to be honest, because a lot of times when we're recording, we're recording into something where engineers and producers are looking at the grid after they hear what we did, and they'll say, "Oh, you played a little on top there," or "Oh, you play all your backbeats are a little behind." It's like, "Yeah, well, I meant to put it there." It's like, "Well, can you give me one where it's right on the beat?" And that's okay. That's fine. Of course, the way that groove works is that it can be funky when it's right on the beat. It can be funky just a little ahead, and it can be funky laid back, laid back. Like you got a lot of like uh, a lot of the Dilla, Philadelphia roots. There's a lot of that sort of thing where it the back side of the beat feels so great and it's so relaxed. And people have been taking that to the extreme and then playing with the swing level of that right and then there's like the hard driving fast moving leaning forward style thing that actually maybe is just right on the grid but a little front side is the minneapolis thing where it just drives sometimes people that aren't from minneapolis the way that they play their funk thing it just it feels like it's they're not dragging they just feel like mm. they're catching up right it's like we're in line but everybody else walks through the door just a little bit before this bass player or whatever or yeah. trumpet player or something i don't know, but I think for me, uh, so many producers that I worked with in Minneapolis, they were used to the time feeling um, and I was feeling something if I was feeling something a little behind or a little kind of floaty like a freshanti thing like you're talking about you know it's it's a very subtle difference between. And, yeah. You know, it's one can feel more robotic than the other. And maybe I was on that second example, I was playing a little more robotic just to prove a point, I guess. But I I think for me, the way that I, my sound is, it's in the attack. And the precision thing to me just feels like, That's where you really get that the helicopter thing. And it's not about the nuances of front side or back side. It's more the nuances are in the attack and the note choices. So if I'm just going and I got the helicopter thing going, this is just a motor that's going steady tempo. I can get a lot more of the groove happening by when I do the chuck and when I do the actual notes. So if it's It's not about, oh, lay this back or put mm. this ahead. It's just, where does the groove feel like it goes? It feels like it has motion. It feels like a wave that's, that continues to move, but it's not anything to do with the timing. It's all about the range of the instrument and also just the, ita- the attack and the dynamics.
0: D- did you feel when, when you were moving in this kind of funk direction, was there a... Was there a sense that, you, that it needed to be sort of brought back again? You know, I mean, you talk about the guitar as an instrument and everybody talk, you know, rock and blues and people trying to emulate Hendrix or, or Stevie Ray or whatever. And I think, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, you're, you're right at the beginning of the interview where I kind of referred to, to it as a sort of a niche genre, Sure. I, I hope people didn't get the wrong idea by that, but what, what I meant was it not necessarily the route that a lot of up-and-coming guitar players go, that's where I want to go. And I'm just sort of interested. Sure. What, what was it about that? Maybe the Prince thing, as you're saying, the, the the area. But
1: Yeah, I don't think... I mean, I had zero intention of, I'm bringing funk back, and I don't think that's my calling. I think for me... When I was first getting going and finding my sound and finding my thing, it's just that the main group and the main people around me that were helping me form that and find that inner voice happened to be guys that were running a Sunday and Monday night thing where you had to know the entire Earth, Wind, and Fire catalog. (laughs) You had to know the entire Ohio Players catalog. You had to know these obscure... Brothers Johnson songs where it's like, I, I I didn't know a lot of this music and then it opened up my mind and my musical palette and it just felt like it was at home and I found my own thing within that because also, sometimes we would play these things and I would, I would show up and I'd try, like, you know, a lot of these guys, like I said, a lot of the band was Prince alumni. I was the only one in the band who didn't play with Prince. Wow. And, In some cases, like one the bass player, Sonny Thompson, he was Prince's guitar teacher. He was the one that you know, he was the one that Prince looked up to and idolized as when Prince was a teenager. So and was in Prince's band for years. So at some point I was trying to maybe impress them and sound like Prince. And eventually they're like, Look, dude, Prince has come into the club tonight, don't try to sound like Prince. Because it's just gonna be it's you're patronizing him. Sound like you. And especially in life, you're just going to be better if you find your own thing. You're never going to be as good as Prince is at being Prince on the guitar. So just be you and find your thing. I was like, oh my gosh, what a relief. I thought you guys wanted me me to be like Prince. I could be like me? Cool. And I needed somebody to give me permission. So it wasn't about, you know, yeah, most guitar players take the blues the, that route and I had a, a time where I was into Stevie Ray Vaughan and Clapton for me was everything and all of that but it's not the thing that I felt like when I play it it's what compels me or the people around me when I play this sort of music it's where it's that thing that makes me feel like I have a unique fingerprint and when I play blues music I don't feel like it does the thing to people, like when you hear Eric Gales play blues music. It's just like, oh my gosh, I, uh, that that is insane. And when you hear Blake Mills or Ariel Posen or Derek Trucks play with a slide, it's, it's just it melts you. And that's not me. I, I I mean, of course, I haven't shed that the way that those guys have, but when I sit down and play the type of music that I play, I feel for myself and I see the people around me moved in a certain way. It's like, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm meant to play.
0: Do do you think musically as well? I always feel that, um, you know, the guitar player to a certain extent takes a bit of a backseat in funk and you, you, you know, the bass players tend to be perhaps the more sort of prominent. Did that, how, how did that sit with you in terms of your personality? Were you sort of going, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm happier being this guy? I, I tell you, one of the things I always think is super weird now when you see Niall Rogers play, is that he walks to the front of the stage and goes, and you're going, what are you doing? It's like, I, I know it's like your band and you wrote everything and you're a complete hero, but like,
1: just yes! stand at the
0: back and do your <laughs> thing. That's, it just, so I just, I don't know if that, are you conscious that, you know, it, did that suit your personality to go I'm much happier being a you know a, a cog in a in a in a bigger machine than being like yeah
1: I'll I'll just take it all on and I just want Um there's two there's two sides to that answer. The very simple answer is yeah, I'm totally cool with it cuz I love hanging in the band and and laying in the cut, yeah. you know. As long as it's feeling good, I'm good with it. I'm a natural performer. I'm an extroverted person. I I feel like I was I was born a performer, yeah. so that's fine. But I also understand my role in something. If I need to, uh, you know, uh, if 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 I'm not the the one who's scoring all the goals, but I'm making all the assists, I'm fine <laughs> with that. I think that's fun. I think that's great, and I think that's an important role that people don't always reconcile with and they don't always realize it's a really important thing to be able to 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 have all those different roles. If everybody's just constantly shooting at the goal, it's like, guys, 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 <laughs> this is not, you know, we, we gotta have some teamwork here. So for me, in the funk realm, when, when I'm playing parts and stuff and just laying in the cut, that to me, I just feel like I'm, I'm part of the rhythm section. So a lot of the way that I like to approach it is I'm a liaison between the drums and the bass to the percussion and the keyboards. And sometimes my role is like a percussion player that happens to have pitches that can happen to play hooks. And, you know, if it's um, something like... Oh, Sorry. You know, it's like, you. I just, you know, you have a thing. It's like, okay, that's the pattern. That's the thing. It serves a purpose. You fill certain holes in certain places. Sure, whatever. I'm I, I just making something up there. It's, it's fun to be able to do stuff like that that kind of fits within different areas. Because then I'm paying attention to all these different spots. But then Jack from Wolfpack, the band leader, he saw the way that I played. And he thought, you know, there's a. he kind of helped me a, a lot in finding my thing and finding my voice because he saw the Prince influence. He saw the Nile influence and the Paul Jackson Jr. and the, um, the Dave Williams kind of when he was playing with Michael Jackson sort of thing. And Jack showed me this interview. He's like, check this out. There's this weird interview I saw of Dave Williams where he's talking about rhythm guitar as a lead thing. And... You know, if you think about um, certain Michael Jackson tunes like "Billie Jean" or "Thriller," there's certain things where it's like those rhythm guitar parts are kind of lead parts at the same time, and there's a lot of stuff on those albums where it's like lead rhythm guitar. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I wonder if I could be a lead rhythm guitar player when the time is right. And Jack has allowed me to explore that space in Wolfpack. And explore that thing, but also making sure for me, making sure that i'm I'm playing in the thing, because Joe Dart is our Angus Young. The band is about <laughs> Joe, like you know, Joe is the shining star, and that's great that's 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 the thing. So I love being in the thing when I got to do that, but lead rhythm guitar, like you're saying, Niall walking to the front of the stage, just playing some sort of that's cool, but if it feels like the lead thing or if it is the hook, it can work. So for me in my own music as Corey Wong, I've tried to solve that riddle that you're talking about. How can I be lead rhythm guitar player where when I am the front man, when I'm standing front and center of the stage, it doesn't seem like, why are you up here and not back there? <laughs> um so yes, I'm very well long-winded answer to say. I'm very I'm very aware of that, but I think it's a fun riddle to try to solve as lead rhythm guitar guy. I, I kind of feel
0: watching the success that Wolfpeck have had, and the sort of crowds that come and see the music, and it's not <laughs> mainstream, you know, it's not mainstream music. It almost feels to me, is does it feel to you, is it almost like the weather report or the, or the Chick career of its day, mm. you know? It's like where these crazy musicians come together and they play a music that isn't necessarily mainstream, but all of a sudden it connects. And then you've got 10,000 people going to a show to see this kind of like, it's not pop, you know? It's just, it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, does it freak you out? I mean, is it, did any of the band even have that, an idea it would catch on in
1: the way it has? That's a really interesting comparison. I hadn't thought about that one. And I haven't thought about the long-lasting impact of the band or any of us musically. I think for us, we're just doing our thing. And time will tell on whether this stuff ends up feeling like Weather Report or Mahavishnu Orchestra or whether it just feels like one of those bands that was on... That was popular at the time, and then nobody listened to it afterwards. <laughs> we obviously can't tell that now, and we're not necessarily aiming for that. We're just aiming for our our highest level of excellence in what we do right now and where our influence is and where our inspiration is leading us. As far as were we and are we aware and were we shooting for this sort of thing, The real intention of Wolfpack in the beginning for Jack was just to uh, actually it started for him as a college project, a recording project to do a little thing. And it was him posting some videos to YouTube, eventually putting them up online for sale. And it wasn't even necessarily a band at first. And then it was like, oh, it's kind of a band because people are interested in it. And it's just an online thing. And then, oh, all of a sudden, people want to see this thing live. And uh, and then eventually, Jack, I became close friends with the guy. So they put out a few EPs. And then I became close friends with them. We started jamming. And then Jack just kind of absorbed me into the band. <laughs> there was no, like, here's a contract. Join the band. He just kind of slowly absorbed me in. Um, you know, so there was no formal wedding. But... but uh, Now you know it's—I don't know—it's—it's fun. It it was very—it was a very natural thing to join the band. But I don't think any time any of us have been doing our thing, we've thought of, oh my gosh, think of the cultural impact we're gonna have. (laughs) Think of the musical impact we're gonna have. You know that—that to me feels like some label stuff. That's like, all right, we're trying to make the next weather report. Here's the formula: (laughs) amazing bass player. Interesting harmonic things. Long through composed line that people can sing. You know, it's like, I get it. Maybe maybe a label would craft Wolfpack as their, we're trying to concoct a new weather report. (laughs) But I, I don't think any of us are are shooting for that as the thing and and that would be only a fringe benefit of us being able to do the things that we love to do um so that's actually pretty cool that that is the answer that it's not like yeah man we're making this business decision because we really want you know i'm looking to be the next wayne shorter or omar Hakim. it's like no i, I we're just doing our thing and and people seem to be latching onto it, which is really cool. And in some ways, I think it's, I don't know if they caught on in the UK, but for about a year, there was this thing called a fidget spinner Yeah. <laughs> here.
0: Just spin it's it like, round and round and round on your finger. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah.
1: hold the thing in your hand and just spins. Yeah. It's like, why was that toy... So popular. You're not comparing yourself to a fidget spinner, are you? It's like, <laughs> Well, no, no, no. I'm not, comparing our, I'm not comparing myself to a fidget spinner. But what I'm saying is there are so many incredible toys out there. There are so many incredible things. And the fidget spinner happened to be the right thing at the right time. And yes, the fidget spinner was amazing. A billion people or a billion units sold proved that the fidget spinner was a really good and cool thing. OK, they're not wrong. And the people that bought them are not wrong for having them. It was a cool thing. We as a society decided these are something hip to have and there's something satisfying about holding it in your hand and letting it spin. And I think in some cases there are certain bands that satisfy a certain thing at the right time where it's like, whoa, whoa. I don't know why that took off. There are plenty of other amazing bands with amazing musicians, but I think the combination of Jack's business sense, the interesting musical content that is happening, the fact that there is some songs and and vocal things that have some poppy elements to it, and the the fact that us as a band we're kind of like cartoon characters too (laughs) you know we we all have our outfits like i'm not wearing my show outfit (laughs) when i when i dress up to play in wolfpack i have a wardrobe that in my mind you know i i play a character but that character is me you know um so it's i i think it's a
0: it's a fascinating band and however it came together and 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 it gels. It gels so well, and it's such a joy to listen to and to watch. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about um, your own music, and and maybe as um, and we'll come on to I think after that we'll talk about gear as well. Um, sure, but
1: we got to talk gear. Got, I mean, come I know, on.
0: I'm very conscious. We must talk about <laughs> gear. But as far as your own music is concerned, how have you? Um, how do you try and? Obviously, you've got more control, perhaps, over your own music than you might have when you're in the Wolfpack situation. Yeah. How does that manifest itself in in the sort of the way
1: the music comes out? Sure. Um, Well, in Wolfpack, I have to take into consideration, first and foremost, I'm not the Angus Young of that band, and Joe is, like I was saying. So I want to make sure Joe gets... Like the, the songs ha- have the thing and it's built around the bass and whatever the hooks are. If there happens to be a guitar thing that leads the thing, sure. Like there's a couple tunes where the guitar has some very prominent parts and the guitar has the things. But I find a way to, to, to have my fingerprint and to do the thing that I feel is compelling that I do uniquely I'll find a way to do that in whatever songs. And, and I try to figure out what's appropriate for that. So I, I fit into, I look at the picture of here's the album, here's the songs, here's the focal point of the tune. How do I fit within that? And that's, the, that's how you approach a band thing, I think. Sometimes as a site, like if I'm doing a session for somebody else, They don't care to have me. They just need guitar a lot of times, right? In a band You want everybody's kind of fingerprint that kind of makes up the band sound For me when it comes to my own music it starts with the guitar normally Or it'll start with a melodic idea that I play on guitar that eventually gets moved to the horns And then I can come up with another cool guitar (laughs) idea that I get to play, right? So it's just a couple guitar ideas But the horns are playing this one and I'm playing this one or whatever and When it comes to my own music Yes, it's it's very similar to Wolfpack in the way that uh, it, uh the the in the writing and producing style to some degree, but it's more for the guitar player, right? And because it's my music, it features the guitar more. That being said, I sometimes get sick if I had an album of the guitar is the lead on everything. (laughs) Check me out. I'm going to get sick of the sound of the guitar at some point. If if you come see an hour and a half show of me playing, and it's just guitar doing the lead thing. I play the song, do the rhythm thing, and then all of a sudden I start soloing. Okay, next song. Do the rhythm thing. Lead, rhythm. And I just go back and forth with that. To me... I myself even am gonna get sick of that sound. I'll get fatigued with the too much just guitar, like yeah, <laughs> you know that. To me, it's too much. So I like to pass it around, and and that's I guess part of my sound and part of my thing is that it's it's a collective thing. But when it comes to my own music, it's just more about the guitar. The guitar sits more at the front. It is more of the lead rhythm thing.
0: What when but. Yeah. When you're when when, ba- when you you know you're putting your own stuff together, or or you're with the ba- you know with the Wolfpack guys, does it feel like the magic happens in the studio and during the writing process, or does it feel like the magic happens live? Because I guess there doesn't feel to me like a great deal of f- live freedom in a Wolfpack sort of, or in any kind of funk band to an extent you know the tightness of it I suspect comes from the fact that everybody knows what everybody else is about to do and how they fit into that jigsaw puzzle so I'm just wondering where which do you find a more gratifying experience you know is it is there more freedom within the studio where you can go it doesn't matter if we do something different and it's a mistake or where you know or, or is there that is there that freedom live and I just
1: haven't you know
0: understood it properly
1: sure I don't think you're I don't think you missed the mark on that because of the way that we approach what we do there are there are moments where there's jumping points live so I'll start by answering your question and then that ending part about the live freedom will will be within that as far as the studio goes and is there more magic studio versus live when we play in the studio, the way that the writing normally goes down is, well, before an album starts, we'll, a lot of us will email Jack demos. Yeah, hey, here's this like idea that I have. Cool. Like, there was this one. <laughs> this little thing that I had, I messed up. I sometimes go up. Come on. Get your fingers <laughs> together, Corey. I need to warm up. <laughs> Subtle. You get that half step off. Oop, move the guitar. Um, we'll send demos. And like that song is a tune of mine called Airplane yep. Mode. I sent it to Jack. He's like, oh, that's really cool. Let's see if we can work that out. All right, cool. I think Jack might want to use that for a v- Wolfpack album. We didn't use it for a couple albums. All right, I'm going to do it on my own album. Great. And I think that's how most of us work in our thing. We're just pitching ideas to each other, and sometimes if we don't want to, if Jack doesn't feel like it fits in the, or you know, can kind of see how it fits for the band, we just won't use it. And then we'll like because all of us have our own solo projects as well. So I have no ego about it. Whether we do it with Wolfpack, whether we do it with Fearless Flyers, whether I do it on my own project, it doesn't matter to me. I just like being able to play the tunes that I write. You know, if I if I feel like it's good. So we normally will send demos in. Jack will send them out like the morning of the session or the night before and just say, like, hey, let's work on this thing tomorrow. In the case of Dean Town, he sent me this tune. Oh, here's this demo that Woody made. We're gonna play this tomorrow morning. And this is ten PM the night before, and I've gotta learn this through composed line. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, fine. I'll just learn this line. Sat there, my iPhone learning the line at night, the next morning we played the song. And that's a lot of times how it works. Sometimes we'll just get in the studio and say, like, oh, yeah, I learned that thing. It's like, oh, yeah, actually, let's do this. And he'll sit down at the piano. Here's the A section. And we'll just kind of jam over this little A section, figure out where we all fit in the thing. All right, here's the B section. Okay, ah, cool, Let's let's play through the B section. We'll all figure out what we're going to do. And a lot of times that's just like, the parts of a Wolfpack song. It's just two sections, and then it's figuring out how to weave going back and forth, who's in, who's out at certain sections. It can be kind of modular, (laughs) Ikea-style funk, right? So, um, and, and then it's just kind of working out the form, playing the form down. We'll normally do a few takes, sometimes one take, sometimes three or four takes, and then, all right, we got it, we're done. And that's it. And... There's a lot of magic in that because everybody's at the seat of their pants. Jack will use take two sometimes. In the case of Town, I know that he used take two because by the time we got to take three, I figured out where one of the releases was on the line that I wasn't matching to Woody and Joe. But he kept the take okay, fine. There's a little nuance of, I didn't release the note at the right time on that take, and I hear it every time I hear the recording, but that's okay. It's fine. I don't think anybody else really (laughs) cares when they listen back, and maybe that's what helps give the recording some of its vibe, is that it's not all meticulously edited and perfect, but the fact that it's just these live takes, and there's magic, in the room, we have to... I have to make sure that I'm on and at any point any of this could go on the album and there's like this, you know, everybody's at the edge of their seat. I don't want to be the one to mess up this take, you know, cuz cuz every cuz if everybody else kills it, I don't want to I don't want to be the one that <laughs> wrecked it. And then as far as the the live magic, the way that Jack likes to keep that energy is that we don't rehearse. Wolfpack has never rehearsed. We didn't rehearse for Madison Square Garden. We didn't rehearse for years ago when we played these other things. When Dave Koz and Chris Thiele sat in on smile meditation at, at Madison Square Garden, we didn't rehearse. Chris didn't sound check. He didn't know what he was plugging into. He ran up on stage at Madison Square Garden, not knowing how he was going to hear or plug in his mandolin. He walked up there and there was a direct box with a quarter inch cable and... and the the monitor guy's like, hey, that's your that's your line out there. Run out there and plug that in. You know, it's not like we have this huge crew. We we're run a pretty bare bones, fun, like all right, we're we're all working. You know, I'm I'm setting up all my own gear, all that stuff. It's fun, like that's part of our thing. And because we don't rehearse, it keeps this live energy like we we all trust that we've prepared for something. And we all trust that we know the tunes. But for some tunes, We've played them a total of three times because that's how many takes we did when we recorded the song. And then when we show up at the gig, you just got to be prepared. And sometimes we'll run something at soundcheck. You know, it's 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 a little bit of a lie to say we never rehearse. It's like, okay, let's run Hero I don't think soundchecks at, count as rehearsals. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to some degree, you know, we we run songs that's occasionally. Mad. And then... But that's what keeps that magic. And then sometimes there's jumping points. Jack has the, the Britney Spears or Garth Brooks mic that he wears, the workout leader guy mic, <laughs> and he's yelling like, you know, he'll yell things and then all of a sudden there's this jumping point and that's where all of a sudden some of the fun is. So whether it be, like we had Bernard Purdy play four days of shows with us a few years ago and part of the fun in that is jack was like i'm not going to tell him anything i'm not going to send him any material (laughs) bernard purdy is has got the greatest instincts of any drummer probably to ever live so we're just going to tell him to get up on stage i'm going to so and what he ended up doing is purdy had never heard any of the wolfpack stuff i don't think he had no idea what he was into show up you're going to play the drums he shows up looking dope this sick pinstripe suit you know, looking classy. He shows up on stage, sits down, and and not nervous at all. Just like, all right, what's going on? Jack goes, boom, t- ka, t- 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 ka, t- t- one, two, three. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm drawing my tape. So he just purdy shows up. He sits down. Jack goes, all right, boom, t- ka, t- 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 ka, t- t- one, two, three. <laughs> And then all of a sudden we're in. Purdy's playing. Like Jack sets up the groove, the kind of thing, counts the bandit, and Purdy just goes. And then what ends up happening is you get raw instincts. There's nothing but magic. It's all raw instincts. Are there hits? Are there form things he needs to catch? He's just constantly ears up, and you're getting all of the magic of that. So those sort of things are high risk, high reward when they work out. But at the same time, it's like, you got Bernard Purdy sitting in. That's not high risk. You got Chris Thiele, the greatest mandolin player on the planet. It's not that high risk. You know he's going to crush it. <laughs> you know, so where the magic lies is in the fact that we're always like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then that it makes for something really fun. But it's not for everybody. Some people would get extreme anxiety over that. Is- I, I live for those moments. Uh, I love it. Um-
0: I guess you were saying uh, before we started rolling that you know it's been a tough year for for artists who perhaps traditionally would spend a lot of the year touring and playing live gigs and you know you're you're by no means unique in in you know well in fact it's the opposite it, no one's had any gigs this year have they not since March so how have you how yeah. have you managed to stay creative and and fulfill that need to play over the last six or seven months
1: yeah it was a pretty huge bummer (laughs) and continues to be right like that's Uh, a pretty huge bummer yeah (laughs) yeah uh to put it lightly yes but i think for me what i realized is okay i've been on the road a lot of the last few years and I basically have every intention on being on the road quite a bit over the next several years. Maybe this time is the t- like at some point we're like, man, I got to I got to take a year off touring. Ah, yeah, but we got so much momentum, yeah. man. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. This is this forced thing to not do that for better or worse, of course. And although it feels like all the wind has been sucked out of our sails, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just what it's it's Taylor Swift, and it's you know all the everybody's momentum has been pulled back because of the what's happening and and you know, we need to be careful we need to not be going out standing this close to each other and pushing each other around and spilling each other's drinks on each other and we just need to for for now just like all right, let's get this thing figured out once it's figured out, once we're good, then we can go back, okay. I don't know when that's going to go back to normal, but for the time being, we as artists need to figure out how to continue to live out our calling. For me, that's, that's how I think about it. And if music is what I'm called to do and performing it live is not an option, what are some other creative ways? I'm a creative person. We all are as human beings. What are some creative ways that we can still do our thing and connect to people and meet people where they're at in this year? and and ourselves find out who we are within all of this and ma- let it manifest itself through our music so that is the whole thing that i was trying to think of and do over the last 6 or 7 months i've written a lot of music that's more reflective and contemplative some of it similar to the way that i normally do my music but just on different instruments or just with a different approach and when quarantine and lockdown first started, I had already planned on releasing an album that I did with Metropole Orchest. And it's this we did a, a little tour together, this orchestra plus me, insane, playing all this original music. I released that in April. And then, speaking of the Wolfpack Madison Square Garden gig, right after that, I recorded this improvised album with John Batiste. He and I had a concept for an album. We just wanted to get together and improvise an album. Like, here's six tunes that are, they're not even songs. They're just jumping points. And we got in the studio with Nate Smith on drums and percussion. And this guy, Samuel, keyboard player, he just played B3 the whole time. Just the four of us. We didn't really tell them what was up. We're just like, here's these jumping points of songs. Let's record an album down. And we did that three times. We, we did it. We recorded the album down three nights in a row. It's like a 32-minute album or something. We didn't really have a plan for releasing that, but then once lockdown happened, I hit up John. I was like, dude, uh, I'm going through my files, and this is pretty dope. (laughs) This is really cool. It's like interesting, and it's very introspective and and reflective, so we ended up putting that out. And then I was sitting around at my house where I'm around all my acoustic instruments and realized I want to write some acoustic music. I've always wanted to do an acoustic album And I'm always on tour. And the way that music, as far as the industry goes, you normally put out an album. Albums normally go in cycles, right? You write the album, you record the album, you release the album, and then you tour in support of that album. Take maybe a little bit of time off, and then you do it again. Write, record, release, tour. All this album cycle. And all of it kind of needs to be cohesive. It all needs to be... The branding, the visuals, the sound, you know, it's got to have a thing so people know what they're in for, for better or worse, right? 2020 has thrown every standard out the window, so I thought, okay, now's the year where I can get all these little projects out that I wanted to do that have been in my head for a while while I have the time to sit down and write and record them, and there's no expectations tied to them. I'm not expected to go out and do an acoustic tour right now because I did an acoustic album. So... I wrote a bunch of this acoustic music and it it ended up being stuff that was inspired by these long kind of outdoor walks that I was having. I'd go around the forest, not like deep forest, (laughs) right? Like I'd go down some trails and walking around. I live in Minneapolis, so there's a lot of lakes and was doing a bunch of walking reflective All of a sudden, all these melodies and all these things were coming in my head, and boom, the concept came. Trail songs, and I did a two-part thing where the first one is dawn, kind of like the morning daytime. More, more like my regular upbeat funk music, but all on acoustic instruments. Instead of electric guitar, it's acoustic guitar. Instead of the big horn section, it's a string section. Still same sort of rhythm section thing where it's funky and bubbly and it's all over. And then I did another album where it was dusk. More of like the chill, sitting by the fire. What's my meaning in life? Why am I here? Sort of thing. And that was more contemplative completely different side of my playing that I was able to express. And I would have never done that had it not been for COVID and lockdown and quarantine and, and everything. So I think for one of the, I I think one of the good things of all of this is that I've been able to find a different side of myself and express a different side of myself creatively and not allow myself to have any industry expectations. If people like the music, Cool. If they don't, that's fine because I'm going to go right back to recording my fast up-tempo funk music the next time around. But for now, it's fun to see other artists as well. A lot of people just in this creative space in a weird time where we're just making this music that's now. And I release it and it feels good to do artistically. Uh, it's,
0: I, I I'm looking forward to listening to some of this stuff. I mean, it, it sounds to me like we've gone from you know, like uh, the real negative side of the lockdown and the COVID to, to almost, it's been like creative rocket fuel for some people to just go, uh, you know, I've got this time in, in isolation and all this stuff is coming out. And it sounds like there's been a, a you know, a positive side to it. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about, I mean, and I'll, and I'll put links below this video, by the way, sure. to, to where people Great. can go and check that music out. Um, Great. If we talk about, let's talk about gear i think because it's i think when people think about funk they probably have a sound in mind that is clean single coil compressed is that a is that a cliche or is that have i just described the funk guitar sound you know for you hmm
1: Well, because I because it's what I do, the way that I think of it is when you hear somebody play a piano, does the piano sound cliche? When you hear somebody play a Wurlitzer, does the Wurlitzer sound Not cliche? It. It's just kind of a thing. And I think, you know, being somebody who plays with this sound, yeah. right? That's, that's coming from me. Maybe to other people, they, they will think that. But I think because the music... The the root of and the the genesis of the genre has that thing and all of the iconic songs and albums, to me, of that genre have that sort of sound. It's just like listening to Keith Jarrett play the piano. It's just, well, Keith Jarrett plays a piano and that does the thing that he does for that thing.
0: I I think, I guess I was kind of going, it feels like, I, I, I was, I think I was probably more going, have you ever stepped outside of that box of, of approaching, ah, okay. you know, so it, it's like a, does it just feel that, does it feel wrong if it's not a strap and a compressor mm. into a fender twin or something, you know, to, uh, yes. it's, it's more that I'm trying to think, I guess, I, I guess some of the bands that I used to enjoy listening to probably had a like a rock funk thing going on to them. I'm I'm thinking like a Nuno Betancourt, you know, high rock funk angle. So I guess it can be done, but it kind of feels, I'm interested in, so what, you know, gear wise, what what would be your go-to kind of rig to to produce one of your albums with?
1: Uh, I did not mean for, I did not intend for my answer to sound like, arrogant old man sitting on the porch oh, or, uh, does a piano sound cliche I, I, did, yeah, I had zero I, I intention didn't mean, about, but okay I didn't yeah mean that I thought that <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I yeah, just yeah. think that the, the funk guitar sound people have a it feels to me like the funk totally. guitar sound has been pigeonholed into that's what funk guitar not the style but the, the sound and I'm just wondering whether yeah. or not you feel that that's kind of uh, a fair um Description of what, what funk guitar sound is, or or, or
1: do you have yeah, a, a, I think a big, you know, uh, color board of, sure. of tones? For me, this is home base, and by this, I mean a Stratocaster plugged directly into my Apollo. Wow. Uh, or, like, it's going through a compressor right yeah. now. I have a, the Wampler Ego compressor, and I like that sound. Yeah. To me, that compressor... Well, I'll just go into why I like that. That specific compressor and compressors in general that I like for guitar are ones that when I turn the compressor on, it feels like it thickens it up. It feels like it gives it a little bit of a meatier thing rather than some compressors take it and they kind of thin it out and they they thin it out and squish it here. For me, I like a compressor that squishes it but puts it like here. (laughs) And the difference is here or here. It keeps, sometimes a compressor will keep it feeling like this, but I like one that feels like it's right in your face. So that to me is the kind of compressor that I like. And you can get that through, uh, there's different kinds of compressors that can do that. The pedal compressor I use to do that is the Wampler Ego Comp. And the Stratocaster single coil thing, that's just where I feel at home. That's what I've played since I was a kid. When my, when I told my dad I wanted to start playing the guitar, he's like, "All right, let's go get you a strat." It's <laughs> like, "What do you mean? Like, let's go. I want to try some other things." He's like, "He just looked at me. He Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Johnson. Do you want me to continue?'" I was like, "Okay, okay, okay, okay." So my, my all my dad's biggest influences were strat guys, and I just ended up playing a strat. And sure, Frashanti played one too. So yeah, yeah I'm I'm down. Um but to me that this is just where I'm home. Prince, his sound is more of the telecaster thing. It's still single coil, but it's not the strat thing. His sound is more kick, kick, kick. Mine's more of the bubbly top end. Yeah. And I think that's okay. There's plenty of cats that are playing insane stuff on on humbucker guitars. And you know, you listen to James Valentine play funk guitar in the pop sense with maroon five that's a different sound and it works amazingly for me the sound that i grew up loving and the stuff that i or and like you're talking about there's some of the stuff that's more rock there's this band mother's finest uh, or you listen to some of the funkadelic or parliament stuff that that might has more rock that might have more rock or a grittier tone to it but for me when i listen to the prince thing the Nile Rodgers thing, Frishanti's got a little more hair on his tone, yeah. but some of it still feels like it's right here. Um, Rob Harris with Jamiroquai, you know, his, that sort of thing, just plugging right into the SSL or simulating plugging into the SSL is where I feel like home. So for me, my rig has been, I'm not as particular about amps, I do like tube amps. I'm not a tube amp snob, but as long as I can get a really good clean tone that like I love a super reverb, I love a twin reverb, I love a JC120. Mm-hmm. Now, once I start clicking other things on, other things are sometimes it affects, right? I've played through Dumble's. Those sound great as well. Not enough for me to want to buy one at the price that they're <laughs> at, but whatever. I like the sound of plugging directly into my Apollo rig, my UA Apollo, and um, sometimes I'll just throw on like the Wolf Compressor is plugin that just compresses and do a little EQ, and that's it. Sometimes I'll use a, an SSL console simulator, but I've always been searching for a plugin that will just do all of the stuff. So product pitch uh, uh. i uh, <laughs> i worked with neural dsp yep. on developing a plugin that has all the stuff like they just said what would be your dream rig plugin just get all the stuff in one plugin i said well can i have a pedal board sure can i have a few different amps yeah can i have a few different cabs yeah can i have some post amp and cab eq and effects like delay and reverb yeah, sure, just tell us what you want. So I figured, yes, I'm in. And I put them through a rigorous process of my seemingly impossible demands, as they said. <laughs> but these guys are incredible programmers, and they have great ears. So I wanted an amp that was more of the direct Prince, Jamirkoi Nile sound. I wanted an amp that was more of the JC120 meets... It's kind of like solid state meets tube, the good things of a tube amp and the good things of a solid state amp in one in this middle thing that like, oh, well, it's not a pure model of an exact amp. It's like, well, it's the amp that I want. So that's what I want. Some people would 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 make that sound and use that voice (laughs) and these hand motions talking to me about it. But to me. That that sort of thing is a fun amp to have. One that the cleans cut and they're right there. It's really punchy. But when you get a drive on it or when you turn it up, it still gets that kind of squishy tube thing. We use these funny adjectives oh, to describe. All my tone. favorite words. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the amp snob. And it's to me, so it's basically like a Dumble and a super bandmaster twin sort of thing. You know, and... And that can get great driving it, and they wanted to have it pretty much that exact thing. I just wanted to tweak it so it does more of the clean tone thing in that realm. What's the best version of the clean tone you can get through all those Amp Snob amps? Let's focus on that and nail all that stuff, and they crushed it. They absolutely knocked it out of the park, and... We went back and forth several times and some of the things, I was like, well, can we try this, this, this? They're like, I don't know. I don't know if we can make it work. And then they'd email me the next morning like, we figured it out. We figured it out. I was like, yes, I knew you could. And then I played through and it's just, oh, it's exactly what I want. So for me, I'm cool playing through plugins because I'm mostly a clean tone person. And over the last, I would say 10, but especially over the last two or three years technology and the digital space has come so far where the majority of the time i prefer my tone through plugins than my amps it sounds really weird to say do you think i mean i and the
0: neural guys that you know some of the stuff they've done with uh, mike fortin as well i know it's a gainier thing but they're, oh. they're crazy crazy stuff do you think I know that the Neural guys have got some hardware coming out at the end of this year. Do you think that you could make that transition live to going, Okay, I'll just plug my guitar into a box on the floor. I've got my Corey Wong plug in. It's here. And here you are, Mr. Soundman. Do you think you'll make that leap? Or do you think you're just going to go, I don't know if I'm ready for just that yet?
1: If the sound is there... 100% 100% yep. because you know what I've done that exact thing on other tours. There's been times, well, and and, and there's a caveat to that. If I'm running in ears, absolutely. Or if there's a a, a, a re, if there's an accurate monitoring situation, yes. If I'm on in ears, I just got the thing right mm. in my ears. Absolutely. I get the sound when I'm on stage without in ears. If you're on wedges, you can't always rely yeah. on the wedges being consistent, and the sound sometimes is kind of whack coming out of the wedges, because <coughs> the monitor guys got or the, <coughs> the excuse me, the monitor person has the wedges tuned, so there's no feedback from the vocals, yeah. so there's all these frequencies ducked out. rightfully so. But then what it does, is, it's not an accurate representation of my tone, so I feel weird and I'm not playing right because I'm not inspired by what I'm hearing. But if there was a cab. That was there, and I plugged my thing into it. Great. So a lot of times at festivals, I like to just, you, you just throw and go, plug in. All right, the accurate representation of my tone is right behind me, blaring at me, and unfortunately sometimes at the ears of <laughs> the people right in front of me, in front of the stage, but if I get some of that sound and some of the weird kind of whack wedge sound, okay, fine, I can deal with it. As far as in-ears go, it doesn't matter what, as long as I have my tone, because in the end, the majority of the tone is coming from front of house, right? Mm-hmm. So I have played tours when I've played for other pop artists. I did a couple tours on an Axe FX 2. Then I got an AX8. I worked out my sound on that. I feel like it was pretty close. I, I feel like I had a really good tone. Um I'm not an expert at working that. Somebody else who's really good with Axe FX products could probably get my exact sound and I'd be more happy with it, but I just didn't have that. Uh, and nobody in Minneapolis was like, <laughs> I'm the Axe FX programmer. Maybe if I lived in LA, I could get in person in the room with somebody and I and do think, or London or something. Um, then I used a Kemper for a while to get my sound. I used a pedal board with a Kemper. And then I was missing some of my effects from the Axe Effects, so I actually... Ran an AX8 through the effects loop of a Kemper. So I, I am not against doing no, this. A, I have you've done...
0: embraced the technology.
1: Oh yeah, yes, yes. I am all about it. I had a, was it an HD500X. Mm-hmm. Is that what they were called? Yeah. The Line Six thing. That was all right. I didn't love the drives on it. No offense to, well, to that, Line that's Six. A, it just a, wasn't a pretty my... mid-price and
0: fairly old product now, isn't it? So uh, sure, but yeah, yeah. It was good. And again, at its time. we're.
1: Absolutely. And I think when they were making French horn samples in 1986, they thought those sounded really great (laughs) and were really great. It's like, this is a French horn. I can't tell the difference. It's like, if you're really honest with yourself, that doesn't sound like a French horn. It's got qualities of a French horn, but it doesn't do the thing that a French horn does. And I think we're not at that place anymore with modeling gear on guitars. It it sounds sometimes better than real amps. So to answer your question, if the quad cortex neural DSP thing is my plug-in on the floor, I'm going to have two of them on the road with me because I'll have my one, and then I'm going to have a redundant just in case the airline breaks it or I break it or somebody spills their LaCroix on it or whatever. You know, it's... It, uh, yes, I, I am fine embracing them as long as there's an accurate monitoring situation. Well, long-winded answer, but no, I, I feel like it's, it's important cool that, that people understand that people understand when or why to use certain things.
0: I want to talk a little bit about uh, finish this off. We're talking about uh, education because I know you've got some sure. pretty cool news coming uh, as far as that's yeah. Going. Can I before I forget though? Can you tell me what that red guitar is behind you? This one, yeah. that one, there, yeah.
1: yeah. I can't promise that it's in tune.
0: It's, it almost looks like it, it shouldn't be. It, it's, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just looks super cool. So, this is a baritone guitar. Oh, cool! It's got two inputs, right? This one is like a, a P bass pickup, and it only oh, wow. picks up these three strings. And I always forget which which one plugs into which. Mm. Ooh, little out of tune. Yeah, it's, it's this cool... Uh... Ah, that strings Do you, do you but... write a
0: lot on baritone? Do you, do, you, do you like the fact that it just, you know, it's all the same... It's all the same notes and the same chords, but it just, it just suddenly
1: just... It's a cool guitar. Yeah,
0: everything's different, isn't it? Because it's just that lower register and just different feel maybe, but...
1: Yeah, because it's like, it. I mean, it's halfway between the bass and the... So you can kind of do the bass stuff, but it sounds different, you know? Uh, This is a funny thing. I had no intention of buying a baritone guitar, but there is a builder named Bruno Bocci. It's Bocci baritone guitars. Right, it's very cool. Really cool. This cat from Italy. Oh, wow. He is also a manager for an Italian artist, and I was doing a session for this Italian artist, and that artist played a bunch of Bocci guitars, and Bruno was there at the session, and I played this guitar at the session because they were like, oh, I, I'm feeling something really low. I want something, you know, it was like a, they wanted this sort of sort of thing that you don't get out of a guitar or a bass. You know, it's like that that uh, one o- like two octaves yeah. below a middle C sort of thing, right? I played it on a session. It's like, wow, this thing sounds really cool. I like this guitar. And then Bruno Bocci, the guy that makes these Bocce guitars, he pulled me aside after the session. He's like, hey, man, uh, how about this? Instead of paying you your full day rate, I was like, whoa, wait, 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 what? (laughs) Instead of paying you exactly what we talked about, how about I give you a half day rate and I give you this guitar? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. I was so excited. So I did this session. Got my half day rate, got a guitar. This is great. And I was so stoked. And now I have a really cool looking baritone. I mean that body shape, isn't that cool? The whole thing is super cool. It, it sounded that it's little, really the chord
0: progression you you played. Um it, I think it's one of the reasons why Ariel Posen, you mentioned, has a such a recognizable sound, because so much of what he plays yeah. he ends up playing on like a baritone style guitar and it it's got that deep growly. It just sounds cool. There's a certain thing just sounds yeah. super cool.
1: Yeah. This one is tuned A to A. Most baritones are B to yep. B. And I think Ariel plays an open C tuning a lot of time. So he's, his range is just, well, it's it's a minor third higher yep. than what this can get. But because of the open tuning, too, and his, he uses really thick strings. Yes. So it's got, yeah, you're right. It's got that big, meaty. Uh, it's super cool. You know, it's cool. amazing. It's super cool. But, um Yeah, this is a fun, fun guitar. We actually, for the Fearless Flyers, which is a Wolfpack side project, when we were making the first album, um, this is before I had even met Mark Lutieri in person. Mark and I had just been working on to get, like, talking on email and phone calls. I was like, yeah, you're going to be the baritone guitar player for the band. I'll play guitar. You play Barry. Dart will play bass. And Nate Smith is is the Angus Young of that band. Right? So, um, Mark hit me up before the session. He's like, dude, I'm flying from somewhere else. I don't think I'm going to be able to bring my baritone guitar. Is there any way that you, do you have a baritone that you could bring and I could use? Yeah, totally. So I, I, he used this for the first Fearless Flyers album. He fell in love with it. He's like, you have to connect me with bocce guitars right now. I need one of those. I send the email introduction. Bruno's like, Mark, what color do you want? I'm going to make you one right now. I'm going to send it in the mail. And Mark got a white one. With lipstick pickups, and it's just—it's so They're cool. very cool. I'm, i must admit. I mean, I, I know
0: we come back to another another side project, but again, Fearless Flyers is one of those. I don't know, man. It's—it's just—it's just—it's perfect YouTube content. It's like because <laughs> the music's great, but the video yeah, kind of as well. It's yeah. so good, and I love the. I mean, Nate is just. Is he the coolest mother on the
1: planet or one of them? He's the greatest. It's- he's the greatest. He is so insane. Mm. He's so cool. And I didn't know what his vibe was going to be like. He's chill. He's cool. He's funny. I like, you know, a lot of these videos, before I met him, a lot of the videos I see, is, you know, he's got this. He's got this thing. Yep. It's like, whoa, is he going to be like this aggressive? <laughs> like, God, you know, because in the, in the videos, but then, you know, whatever. I, I guess I sometimes, that's, you, you never know what you're going to get with a person by judging the few YouTube or Instagram clips you've seen of somebody. Yeah. But Nate is the coolest dude and he's so good. And you're right. And that actually, uh, about being optimized for YouTube or visual. And that, I think, talking about, the band not being a fidget spinner and actually understanding a big picture. Jack knew that from the start. Right. Jack knew, he understands, he, he's the AR for Fearless Flyers. <laughs> you know, he said, All right, a concept is that it's kick snare hat, simple setup for the first couple records. Guitar is all on stands in the three ranges bass, barry, electric guitar. Everybody's got its wardrobe, it's got a thing, there's a visual to it. And there's just a lot of things that you could talk about looking at it. Now, there's plenty of people that could just do that and have that thing. It's like, "Oh, we have a really great set designer and wardrobe person, but the script sucks and the video and the, you know, the actors suck." Well, that's not going to do it for you, right? You have to have all those things. So it 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 really kind of when all those elements come together, it makes for something that's really special. Of course, I feel like the music stands on its own, but when you have those other elements, when you have the wardrobe and the set design, along with a good script and good actors and good cinematography or whatever, it, it, it's just, just, it really it's helps. So cool.
0: I mean, I, I do... Let's, let's, let's finish up talking about education because there's a super, yes. super cool thing that you've become involved with. I mean, I, I do do hope that, you know, as and when you start touring again and, and you and, and come over to the UK or Europe, I do hope we get to meet in person and come on and really delve into some of the licks a little bit more. And, and just because it's yeah. just I, I mean, I, I remember having uh, Rob Harris when we interviewed Rob about two years ago. And I just don't think I fully appreciated how difficult playing funk guitar was because it's not you know mm. it, it's such it's such um what's the right word it's got so much percussive rhythmical content that playing yeah. almost any other style of guitar just doesn't have and it, it's yeah. just you know you, you can see someone play something you go well, that doesn't look like a very difficult chord to play, you know. And he's only playing yeah. one chord. How hard can this be? And then it's just like, I'll try that, and I just and you'd realise like I am light years away from being able to sound like someone like sure. you or Rob. Um, so. Let's, let's talk about, I'd, I'd love it if you would, you know, when you're next over to, to come and I'm spend
1: in. some time. It'd be super I'm, cool. I'm coming by. It looks like you got some gear there that I want to try to play through, we've too. We've got
0: some toys.
1: Some guitars. Um, you got that cool little pink guitar there. I, I'm, I, I'm in. I'm stuff. coming. But
0: let, All let's right. talk about, it. now, I have a, a dear friend that I've probably known since I was about 17 called Bruce Dickinson, who, um, yeah. who has a, a, a long and uh, quite phenomenal career in music education. Um, yep. And he uh, has, is heading up or has headed up a, uh, a college over here called WaterBear. That's yep. the first um, really kind of focused uh, degree provider where they've got this blend of online. You can do the whole thing online or you can do a little bit online and a little bit in, in uh, at their facility. Um, and you've... Become involved in doing a scholarship with uh, with Waterbear, uh, so that yeah. some unbelievably fortunate/slash dedicated uh, musician out there is going to get a chance to do a three year degree with all the fees paid for. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what uh, you know drew you to to wanting to be involved with that?
1: Well music education is something that I've been passionate about a lot because I have benefited a lot from it and I have benefited a lot from the community that comes from being a part of a university situation and from the community of having teachers around, having the accountability system and the healthy competition of the community around that you're studying with and, and kind of going for the same thing, right? And when I was first getting going, I was doing a lot of teaching. And I haven't been able to do as much teaching just because my schedule has been really busy and, and that sort of thing. So anyways, um, I know how much it can mean to have a music education. Because I wouldn't be where I am right now without my experience uh, at university. And I know how difficult it can be to make a decision in the first place to become a professional musician. And second off, should I go to college for music? Because it's not like other things where you need a degree to work in the field. Sometimes, I mean, college, college, university isn't for, I know the terminology in the UK is different. Mm -hmm. So university in general is not for everybody as far as musicians go. Joe Dart didn't go to school for music and he's incredible, that's fine. I did, plenty of other music- musicians did, John Petrucci did, whatever. I don't know why he's the first person that I thought of, but he just is. Um, music education is something that's really important because there is that community aspect, there is the stamp of I'm deciding that this is what I'm doing. And I think sometimes the financial burden of an education and the financial burden of going into a field that doesn't have traditional quote unquote career paths can be really scary. And to be able to help provide a scholarship to put somebody who might otherwise not know whether they can do this thing or not to put them over the edge. If they, if somebody's thinking to themselves, like the, the person that I really want to get this scholarship is somebody who says, music is what I've been called to do. I will do whatever it takes to make music my career because this is what my calling in life is. Not only my vision as what I want to say musically, but as a person, this is how I can best get what I'm supposed to do out. And I want to go to school for it, but I'm not sure that I can afford it. And I don't know that I don't know that it's even viable. If I even if I wanted to do this, I just can't afford to do it. And I just I, my That experience is not going to work for me because my family and I just don't have the financial means to make that happen. That's the type of person that I want to say, look, I got you. I know what it's like to be in your situation. I know what it's like to not know whether this is something that you can actually make work as far as paying for school and knowing, not knowing whether or not music is an actual viable career for you. I want to support you and help you and say, I'm going to come alongside you, not only financially, but I want to be able to say, I want to be able to check in and say, hey, how are you doing? How are, you, how are your grades? Are you doing your work? how is your step outside of school? Are you playing with a band? What are your challenges? What are you? What are your successes? I want to celebrate your successes with you. I want to help you get over those mountains that feel like they're hard to climb. How can I grab on and help? And not that I'm going to push them through their thing, but I want to just—I I want to be able to be a helping hand. Uh, it's and, so cool, man. It's it's,
0: I, I it's wonderful that you would want to that you would want to support someone like that. You know, I think it's also cool. This isn't like a competition where everybody's name goes in a hat and you pull out. This is like, like you say, someone has got to want this. They've got to, it's going to be awarded on merit. I think they can live anywhere in the world, can't they? It doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter where they're from, but 100% Absolutely. really looking for someone that would probably, um, the financial cost of doing a three-year degree would would make it a, a non-starter. But if they've got that belief and that drive, and they've they've got that little bit of magic sauce that, you know, uh, and that comes through in their application. I think it's, it's such a cool thing. It's such a cool thing. And the fact that, you know, you're going to be checking in and seeing how they're doing through their coursework. How, how cool is that? I mean, I would have loved, I would have loved to have had the opportunity to, to, to have that kind of support network uh, through, you know, education. It's very, very cool, man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it's nice to be able to, show the community that i'm dedicated to the community beyond just look at what i can do that's not you know it's there's so much more to life and there's so much more to music than that and i think you know not to be on a high horse not to put myself on a pedestal or anything it's just if you find some level of success don't forget that other people are also reaching for that. And don't forget that you were in a place where you had no idea whether you were gonna be able to pay your cell phone bill because you didn't have enough gigs that month. And I, I, have not, I have not lost touch with that. And any level of success that I have, I want to be able to make sure that I don't lose connection with the community that I'm a part of.
0: Well, good for you, man. I think that is a solid note to end this on um it's been such a pleasure spending some time talking with you uh please keep making cool music um you may not think that uh you'll be seen as the 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 new weather report in another 10 years (laughs) time but i think you know i think there's that those comparisons are valid it's it's you've been involved in some amazing stuff and i hope you carry on doing that stuff but uh
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: And yes, next year, hopefully 2021 is uh, a a little bit less, uh, or we can be a little bit more sociable. And uh, I would love love to see you in in England at some point or other. So, right. Everybody, say goodbye to Corey Wong. Uh, Go check him out. Uh, Links below. And um, yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks. Peace.
0: Thanks for listening to our latest podcast If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.